And hello to everybody listening on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, wherever you get your shows. This is On the Farm, a podcast dedicated to covering major and minor league baseball. I'm your host, Matt Kovitz. We have a lot to get to today. Free agents are flying off of the market now, and we are really kicking it into high gear as spring training starts to creep up on us. Joining me, as always, my co-host, Sam Shapiro. How's it going, Sam? I'm just chilling, Matt. Jay chilling. That's exactly the answer we need. Of course, the Super Bowl, as of recording, is coming up. We have a great one on hand. Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I have to ask you, as the resident Patriots fan, are you rooting for Tom Brady and his Bucs? So I was actually just asked this question by uh, someone else, and uh, I was I was kind of uh, given some shit because of how many Patriots fans are rooting for the Buccaneers today. I am incredibly grateful for everything Tom Brady did for for the Patriots fan base. I want him to win. I'm going to be happy if he wins. I'm not going to be cheering every time the Buccaneers get a first down or kick a field goal. But if you had to ask me which of these two teams I would prefer to see win, it's going to be the team with Tom Brady playing quarterback. So there is my convoluted lawyerly answer for you. It does answer some questions. So I have Buccaneers. I have Chiefs one Buccaneers zero in my Super Bowl box pool. So that's what I'll be rooting for. I'll also be rooting for a great game. I'll be rooting for Queen Latifah's new show, The Equalizer, coming on right after the Super Bowl to do well, even though I don't have high hopes. With football ending, baseball is beginning. I only work in two sports situations. Hockey and basketball have their fun in the winter, but I'm going to be all baseball all the time once this big game is over. I don't even know if we could say Super Bowl without getting a copyright strike against us. But anyway, Matt, I think you, you got to retract that and call it the big game. Otherwise, uh, the NFL's attorneys are just start breathing down our necks. They have ears in the walls everywhere, man. You can't be too careful. <laughs> we will stick to Major League Baseball for that reason. The top free agent on the market now signed in a whole convoluted process that took three months and made LeBron James look like the most humble man on the planet. Trevor Bauer, the newest member of the Los Angeles Dodgers, signed a three-year, $103 million contract, including a $40 million salary in 2021, a $45 million salary in 2022. So shattering Garrett Cole's AAV record by several million dollars. He has a couple opt-outs in that deal, so we could be going through this whole process again next year if he happens to repeat upon his Cy Young performance from 2020, which I'm sure he'd be happy about. But I'm not sure if baseball fans and the league will be happy about it. Mets fans, I know, are furious because it appears he used the team for leverage. His agent, Rachel Luba, tweeted that they were down to two teams earlier in the week, and it became clear that it was going to be New York and Los Angeles. And just when it seemed like the Mets had it wrapped up, according to Bob Nightingale, the exact opposite happened. Bauer really got his money. All of these strategies clearly work. He's a guy who could bet on himself and market himself because he has a salary higher than LeBron James, even did a LeBron James-style decision that he posted on YouTube. He made merchandise for both teams. You can't say that he's not one of the more marketable guys, but I mean, come on. This is a bit overdone. Oh, it was definitely overdone. I don't think you can get any argument there. I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with Mets fans who are salty about being used for leverage. Like, I'm sorry, guys. Welcome to the world of bidding for big time free agents. I know it's been a while given uh, the way your, your previous ownership operated, but this is just part and parcel of, you know, competing at the highest level of roster construction and the hot stove. You know, you're not entitled to... To, to, to sign everyone you're after just because you have Steve Cohen and, you know, therefore, ipso facto, you're going to get your guys. One other thing I thought was amusing is uh, there were not 
just Mets jerseys and Dodgers jerseys. There was a there was some Blue Jays gear with you know Bauer twenty seven on it. So he was really kind of he was really trolling people, and you know that's not surprising because you know that's just how his brain is wired. But very fitting end to uh, you know process that was entertaining. I'll, I'll admit it, but just so ridiculous and over the top. Honestly. This was the safe choice the whole time because not only is he a Southern California native, uh, you know, getting to play for the hometown team closer to mom and dad, but also he wants to win. He wants a ring. AJ Preller's moves aside, this is the team that gives him arguably the best chance against the field to do that in 2021. He had a couple of seasons during his tenure with the Indians where they were going deep in the playoffs. They had that one very uh, exciting World Series experience in 2016, but you know, he had to spend two years in Cincinnati where, you know, that's like they were very far from that to, uh, to to put things bluntly. And he wants to win, you know, with that in light, you know, you could have stripped away the whole song and dance routine. And, and, and this would have made perfect sense. It does make sense. I just never really thought of it as an option. The Dodgers, for all the money they spend, don't do it on free agents. They just trade and accumulate their assets and then extend the guys. It's not like they make massive moves each winter. Mookie Betts notwithstanding because they just gave him the deal. But even so, he came from Boston. It's not like they signed him to a $400 million deal. Do you think a $40 million AAV is too much for this guy? Granted, he was the Cy Young. But if you really look at his track record, it's one and a half seasons of elite ball. And then the rest is just decent to above average. You know, I think that they're really banking on the um, changes he's made with respect to, you know, the, the driveline work and a lot of the personal advanced metrics he seems to be going by. You know, obviously, it's very difficult to project pitching in this day and age. But, you know, given the steps that Bauer takes to um, maintain his, his status and to stay at the top of his craft, I think that, you know, this was clearly a gamble the Dodgers were, uh, were in favor of that they thought was worth making. I will say, Matt, I am so woefully illiterate on the financial side of the game that, you know, anytime you ask me a, a, a question that has the phrase AAV in the question stem, uh, that's a dicey proposition. But I hope I hope that was satisfactory. It always is. Do you think that shorter deals are going to become the norm where you're getting three and four year contracts with a lot of money loaded up front? Or do you think this is just a Trevor Bauer specific quirk? Personally, I would think that you're still going for that longevity, but an increase in turnover in the free agent market could be interesting to watch as well if anyone repeats his strategy. Yeah, I think this is a Trevor Bauer special. He clearly has a lot of fun being wooed and being courted. When you mentioned we could see this again next offseason, I could definitely see him pulling this out next offseason. Even if he does, you know, pick up the option or, you know, renegotiate for like a new deal with the Dodgers. Um, I don't think that this is something that, you know, is really that applicable to, you know, other other players in the game, even players of a similar skill who just don't have his personality. I think that also the idea of like being somewhere long-term and settling down uh, is very much not in the Trevor Bauer lifestyle. He seems like the kind of guy who's going to be going out clubbing when he's 50 years old. So uh, I don't think that that has that same appeal for him as it would someone with a more traditional lifestyle or, or family structure. Uh, <laughs> If we can read between the lines there. <laughs> and lastly, what do you think the Mets are going to do? It doesn't seem like they're going to roll with Joey Lucchese as the fifth guy, even though that's what they have on the depth chart right now. There are still a few options available. Jake Odorizzi rumored to be looking for a multi-year deal. Taiwan Walker, James Paxton looking for shorter packs than Nice. So do you think they go for one of those arms or are they just going to stick with rolling with their depth because they have a lot of guys on the 40 man roster in AAA and then waiting for Noah Syndergaard to come back? 
Yeah, I think that this is not the answer Mets fans will want to hear because, again, they went into this offseason just thinking they'd be able to buy their way uh, to the top of the National League. I kind of think that you you roll with the depth to start. You know, obviously they'll give Lucchese another chance. Uh, Sean Reed Foley, whom they got uh, in the Mats trade, I think that that was a really sneakily good pickup. Uh, I would love to see him have a chance to compete for that fifth starter role in spring training. Uh, obviously, there are other possible bounce back candidates that they're going to have. You know, on that forty man, who are probably going to start the year up in uh, in Syracuse, uh, and and then you're also going to have to acknowledge how how Thor is going to be back, you know, within a couple of months, right? So you're not going to need to, you know, sign someone to be your your fifth starter for the entire season. So I think it's very possible for them to to, to ride this out with what they already have in the organization. Syndergaard seen yesterday, in fact, throwing a bullpen session with his shirt off. So he's coming back sooner rather than later. Dodgers. God bless. God bless him. Dodgers for all their work of just winning the World Series, for all the Padres did to compete with them. They just now have a pristine opportunity to repeat as champions in 2021. Just forgetting about Kershaw and Bueller and Dustin May. David Price is there too, to say nothing of their hitting that hasn't gone away. I would imagine Justin Turner is going to reunite in some way. Dodgers are incredibly, incredibly good. As for the Mets, their NL East rivals made a big move on the same day as Trevor Bauer signing. Marcel Ozuna back with the Atlanta Braves on a four-year, $65 million contract. This is a great investment for one of their most potent hitters last year. Back to back to back NL East champs looking to repeat for a fourth time in a bloodbath of a division. Yeah, um, I think that this was a little bit of a surprise given that there were some rumors about him going to some potentially surprising landing spots. I remember it was either Heyman or Ken Rosenthal put out that the Rays were a surprise team in the bidding. And I text you being like, oh shit, not this again. That would have been ridiculous. It seems like if the years shortened the Rays were going to be involved they wanted a one to two year length deal right. and then they bowed out when they realized right. this and so i think moving back to atlanta one of the really cool things was just how jazzed up uh ozuna is to be coming back you mentioned it being a happy press conference he posted multiple pictures on social media with very sappy captions about how enamored he was you know with the city and how important it is for him to be you know coming back there i think for that to be the case uh, after a season where fans really weren't allowed in the stands uh, until the postseason started uh, for a player that get that kind of connection uh, you know, maybe I'm just a, an overly sentimental guy these days, but that was really cool to see. It's becoming rarer and rarer for guys to kind of stay in one place for, you know, multiple seasons on end. People test the market, they move around. And, you know, obviously he's, you know, not close to being like a Freddie Freeman level, you know, favorite son for the people of Atlanta. But I don't know. I liked it. A funny exchange that went viral on Twitter between Ozuna and his GM, Alex Anthopoulos. Ozuna was saying, if you were really so enamored with me, why didn't you sign me in November? We could have saved this. And Anthopoulos started laughing. He said, well, these deals take time. They're very difficult. Marcel, I'm going to put you on the task force for re-signing Freddie Freeman to a mega deal. So they're trying to keep this band back together and run the NL East for years to come. Now for a story that would have been the lead had there not been a cavalcade of free agent signings over the last few days. Drew Robinson, the ex-member of the Texas Rangers, current member of the San Francisco Giants organization, shared a story with Jeff Passan. And Passan was on the Pat McAfee show a few weeks ago and said that this would be the most important story that he has ever written, that he had to be on the Pat McAfee show even during Super Bowl week. He solidified that with a trust me. And Pat and his co-host were like, oh my God, this must be crazy. Twitter speculation ran wild with fallout from another sign-stealing scandal, perhaps the Yankees' unsealed envelope from 
the Apple Watch fiasco of a few years ago, two random harassment or PED suspensions that he may be sitting on. Ultimately, no, it is so much more heavy than that. Back in April of 2020, Drew Robinson attempted suicide, citing the pressure to succeed, career struggles, and lifelong issues with anxiety and depression. And his last step was the loneliness he was dealing with in lockdown. He just ended a very long-term relationship, and he was in a horrible place. In this poignant piece, he describes what he did. He shot himself in the temple and survived. Waited 20 hours to call 911, brought himself to the hospital after realizing that he wanted to live. It was honestly an inspiring piece. I can't do it justice by retelling it. I implore anybody listening to go and read that right now because it really says a lot about the mental side of baseball and how it could really bring people down and the tenacity to realize that every day on earth is a blessing. Yeah, I know I normally like to fill the air with a lot of words on the show, but there's not much more I can add to that. Obviously, just a miraculous story on the facts. I mean, when I hear of people doing that and taking that step, you know, or, you know, attempting to end their lives in that way, living for for almost a, a full day afterwards before calling uh, emergency services, it, you know, it defies logic, it defies reason. But, you know, as he puts it, uh, you know, when in, in retelling his story, you know, the fact that he was, you know, still kicking after all that, that's as good a reason to pick up the pieces and continue living as any. I also think, and I, I don't want to spoil the piece too much, but really kind of the, the reckoning with mental health, not just, you know, for him personally, but, you know, within his family, you know, talking about how this prompted, you know, other people in his immediate family to kind of, you know, assess where they were at and how they were feeling in relation to these, to these issues and these struggles. I think that that's, that's a really important story to be told because I would posit that in a lot of situations like this, there's stuff that's been kind of, you know, papered over for years, you know, in families and with members of families and that, you know, some families just don't have a culture of being open about this or, you know, being willing to seek help. I know that there's, uh, especially within the game of baseball, where it's like a very hyper-masculine sport, uh, you know, there's really this, you know, overwhelming mantra of, of not showing weakness. Um, and I think that by talking about this, Drew is breaking down some of those barriers and I just generally believe it's so important to have people talking openly about this because, you know, you never know who will hear this, a story like this and be inspired to, you know, you know, take a look at themselves and take steps to get themselves the help they need. I've editorialized like even more than I'm comfortable for this. Like, you know, as I, as I said, I like, I like to talk, I like to share my opinions, but you know, this, this, this is something where, you know, Drew Robinson's words have the real weight here. And that's, that's, what's more important for people to be, uh, you know, taking away from this. I will not spoil the rest of the piece. But take a look out for Mr. Robinson when he's at San Francisco Giants camp in the spring. He has drawn the praise of President Farhan Zaidi and manager Gabe Kapler. He is a very well-liked guy in the clubhouse. He's a story that is certainly worth following for the entirety of his career. Moving forward, we spoke last week about the Nolan Arenado deal. When we talked about it, the pieces were not clear. The only thing that we were sure about was that the Rockies would be sending money over. Well, the return is now imminent. Going to St. Louis, Nolan Arenado. Going to Colorado, Austin Gomber, left-handed pitcher. And then four prospects. Third baseman, Mateo Gill. Infielder, Elauris Montero. And then two pitchers, Tony Losi and Jake Summers. The Rockies will be paying Arenado's entire salary in 2021. So they're just getting a free asset there in St. Louis. Interestingly enough, we knew that the return would not be great. None of these guys are in the Baseball America Top 10. 
The best overall is Montero, who's at number 14. A couple of unranked guys. I guess right now, the most desirable piece is Austin Gomber, who's a five starter. Looks great in the bullpen. Has looked great starting. The Rockies have a lot of questions to answer. And I'm sure you could tell us more about this return. Yeah, uh, a very disappointing return at that. Um, you know, as we mentioned last week, Rockies fans have every right to be, you know, up in arms that there's really no one who can come close to replicating the impact that Arenado has. I'm going to cough. It's going to be obnoxious. <coughs> <coughs> That's ASMR. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, folks. I think in terms of Gomber, yeah, he's kind of like a back of the rotation guy. But given who the Rockies about to try it out there, we've dragged John Gray's name through the mud quite a bit here. Chichi Gonzalez was getting uh, starts consistently the past couple of years. That's, yeah, we don't like that. We don't need to talk about that. And so Gomber, I think, you know, he's going to have every opportunity to carve out a role in that rotation. I think that, you know, just with the way the Cardinals depth works, where you have, you know, your Flaherty's, your Carlos Martinez's, and, you know, other guys who, you know, I'm not turning their names into plural nouns, but I assure people they exist. It's kind of tough for for a guy to, you know, entrench a spot given the amount of internal competition. That is clearly not the case in Colorado. And, you know, Gomber, as you said, met very solid stuff out of the bullpen. You know, he was kind of in more of a spot starter role and he debuted in 2018. Numbers were not as good as they were this time around. But I think that that's something they could definitely stretch him out in spring training and move him in there. Uh, Montero, it seems like he's been you know, a mainstay in these Cardinals top 10 lists for a while, dropped out this year, as you mentioned. Uh, he is only 22, which kind of surprised me because, you know, he's already hit double A, had a really rough go of it in 2019. You know, I guess they wanted to uh, acquire someone who uh, could potentially, you know, slot in at this third base position over the next couple of years. Ouch. Um, yeah, I mean, he had some some really solid um, numbers his first couple of seasons stateside. You know, 2018, he had an 875 OPS uh, combined through both levels of Class A, 16 home runs spread across the two. So it kind of looked like there was something developing there. And then 2019, double A, things kind of just went off the rails. So... You know, I guess maybe they're they're hoping he returns to his uh, his his former caliber. It remains to be seen whether or not they'll they'll stick him in Hartford so I can see him this summer. Whether they're going to be impressed with him enough to kind of give him the boot to AAA, but big question mark there. Next couple guys, uh, Mateo Gill and Tony Losi, both third rounders, but haven't really amounted to to much. Mateo Gill, decent debut in the uh, now defunct Appalachian League in 2019. Seven home runs in 51 games for a uh, high school shortstop in his second uh, professional year, but really not a ton to write home about. Tony Losey, another third rounder, picked out of Georgia. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a simp for SEC players, SEC pitchers in particular. He got worked uh, in Class A in 2019. Uh, however, I think one thing that maybe is a little bit cause for optimism about a bounce back, uh, his strikeout to walk ratio nearly three to one. So not great, but it goes to show you that there's some punch out stuff there. The guy I'm really interested in is the one who's kind of got the least amount of PR is Jake Summers, who is. I agree with you. I I looked at his numbers before this, and they actually looked palatable. 
Yeah, no, 10th rounder out of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Like Mateo Gill, his only experience is in the Appalachian League. 12 starts, 418 ERA, which is not great, but like for a guy who's getting that sort of extended exposure after, you know, pitching 30 collegiate innings already that year, that's pretty decent. 55 strikeouts to 19 walks. No, I think that that number in particular is is, is a really nice sign and a definite uh, improvement from, you know, his collegiate numbers in terms of where that ratio is looking. Uh, uh, seven home runs. So that's, you know, not great, but I think that Summers could be the sleeper here um, as someone who they maybe kind of move up fairly quickly as a, as a short reliever. You know, he's 23 already. So I can imagine that uh, he might be able to handle a, a skip of a level or two. All that's great. But the fact that we're having to kind of hype a guy like Summers up as the potential, you know, big takeaway from this trade. I think that that sums it up. That just shows how disappointing this is for the Rockies. Well, don't tell Jeff British and Dick Montfort that this return was disappointing because they don't believe it. Of course, Montfort, the guy who said that in January 2020, his team would go 94 and 68. Are you of shitting me? Only had a, oh, my God. That's delusional. His whole chest. Absolute delusion. And he has a henchman working for him who seems to have infinite job security. This right now seems like it was just a dispute between Arenado and management, and that's why they shipped them off. They're not going to rebuild, or so they say. Trevor Story is going to be there, or so they say. Are there any other guys you could think of if they actually commit to this? With the Dodgers existing and the Padres on the rise, even the Giants just getting better, I don't see a path to contention within the next few years. So what about a guy, Kyle Freeland, Antonio Senzatella? This one would hurt, but Herman Marquez if they wanted to ship them out and expedite this process. I think the problem is though, that this Arenado trade gives me uh, some bad vibes about what that process would look like. Obviously Marquez being a, a young starting pitcher really at the, at the peak of his game, that's the kind of trade package that is supposed to be chock full of teams, top 10 prospects of you know, top 100 prospects in the game even. And I just have no confidence in Jeff British to be able to extract any kind of value in the return there. I won't say this process will be fun to watch, but if any of our respective teams want to get in and just poach them, because clearly it could happen, that's something worth monitoring. couple other notes on this deal. The Braves were in on Arenado at some point, and the Cubs were last year. The return package there would have involved Chris Bryant and Jason Hayward. So I'm sure the Cubs have to be kicking themselves, especially seeing their NL Central rival grab them. Those Cardinals now have Arenado at third. Tommy Edmund slotting in at second base. Matt Carpenter to the bench. And this will parlay into a move that they didn't make, and that is re-signing Colton Wong. They declined his option for this season, and he's going to jump to another NL Central rival, the Milwaukee Brewers, on a two-year, $18 million deal. It's like every, and I text you to this, it's like every single NL Central team, except for the Pirates, noticed that the season is going to go on. It's not going to be canceled. There's not going to be a strike. There's not going to be a pandemic part two. They see the Cardinals get Arenado, and they're like, oh my God, we actually have to make moves. And everything just started happening right now, starting with Colton Wong. The Brewers now have a second baseman with a great glove. What does this mean for Keston Hira? Now, the conventional wisdom is that they just slide him over to first because obviously uh, Hira's power profile is incredibly well there. But we're also seeing some some funky rumors. Apparently, they are considering bringing Shinsu Chu aboard at first base. Really? Which 
makes negative sense if I'm being <laughs> polite. You know, Shoes had a great career, but he's really on the downturn. He's never played first base before. I think that's bonkers. So if that ends up happening and they bring him aboard, then I, I think you 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 put here at third base. Uh, you see how that goes. You cross your fingers and hope Bryce Terang moves up quickly to kind of shore up the left side of the infield. Uh, they have to find a place in the lineup for him. Uh, and I think that it's kind of unfortunate that there's not going to be a DH in the National League this year um, because that would have been a, a fantastic spot to park him temporarily while they while they got their shit figured out. But somewhere on the corners. A brief update on the MLB versus the MLBPA. MLB offered a 154 game schedule that starts on April 29th. Players Association rejected that. We are getting on time baseball. Camp starts February 17th. Season starts April 1st. There were a couple other provisions in there that the owners wanted. So it made it seem like safety was not their entire platform. They also wanted to get expanded playoffs, which we've said are we're not totally against. I think maybe eight teams per league is a bit too much, but six or seven can also work. We may be setting up for a labor war in 2021, but that hasn't happened yet. So let's just enjoy what we have, right? Agreed. And now for a more serious piece of news, the Mets and Jared Porter had a very public sexual harassment scandal break a few weeks ago where Porter admitted to his wrongdoing and had to leave the organization. Another former member of this team involved in a saga now, Mickey Calloway, ex-manager for the team from 2018 to 2019, aggressively pursued five women in sports media over the last half decade. This spanned multiple organizations. So he was the pitching coach for the Cleveland Indians for a handful of years, now the current pitching coach of the Los Angeles Angels, and he has just kept doing it. He has sent inappropriate messages, even asking women to get naked and get drunk with him for possible scoops on roster moves. This was called the worst kept secret in sports. Now, Callaway has denied everything, meaning that he was suspended by the Angels. If he admitted to wrongdoing, he would get fired. But since he said, no, I did not do this, it triggered an investigation. This is just another ugly saga. And honestly, an industry that hasn't had too many me too movement situations. I think that reckoning is here and it is well past due. Yeah. Cause I, I think that the fact that this is coming out kind of in response to Jared Porter's victim being brave enough to step forward, it goes to show this was happening under the surface for years. And the fact that no one spoke out about it doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, still a, a, a huge problem. Obviously Mickey Calloway is going to deny and he's going to, you know, avail himself of, you know, all the due process that is, you know, contractually entitled to him. But come on, we've seen the texts, we've seen the shirtless selfies. I wanted to wash my eyes out after you sent me that. That was just ugh. we've seen the proposals to ask these women to see the lumineers with him, which was just so out of place after he was sexting them. Oh, God, I can't even joke about that. This is like so yes, grungy, slimy. And creepy and yeah, slimy. Thank you. Thank you for finding the right word. Um, honestly, one thing I worry about with this kind of stuff coming up is having players and other league personnel jump to the defense of these of, the, of these schmucks and kind of turning it into more of a political battle than it arguably has to be like this is a question of you know of right and wrong and how you treat people uh, and i don't necessarily trust uh, a lot of people involved in the game to get that however in this instance i guess it's like a fortunate thing that mickey calloway is not exactly super popular in certain corners of the game you know he ruffled a lot of feathers when he was the mets manager obviously uh you know the feud with trevor bauer dating back to their shared tenure on the indians uh, mentioned as 
was a significant reason why Bauer was not even considering the Los Angeles Angels as a free agent destination. So I guess that's like the one silver lining about about this potential case. But I still have that concern going forward that someday this is going to happen to a universally liked and respected individual and I worry that just like the horde of, you know, angry, angry oafs from major league clubhouses are going to are going to push back. And I really hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. Again, we said this a few weeks ago. How are you going to pretend to be inclusive if you have people in positions of power doing things like this? Everything that we talked about with Jared Porter can repeat it here. It's just disgusting behavior and he should be out of baseball if this investigation finds evidence. The evidence is there, so it's going to find that. So this should be open and shut, but he is prolonging it because he is entitled to that questioning. But this this is gross. And that's the only way to put it to bed. Now, some news that I'm sure you were preparing for. It's been all but a foregone conclusion. Dustin Pedroia, second baseman extraordinaire for the Boston Red Sox, announcing his retirement. He has only played in nine games since 2018, was dealing with severe knee injuries over the last few seasons. A lot of them stemming from a Manny Machado takeout slide back in 2017, actually had a partial knee replacement in 2020, so he was not seen on the roster at all. Still getting paid his salary for 2021, which is nice for Red Sox owner John Henry, extending that offer of goodwill. Pedroia's accolades, a Rookie of the Year award in 2007, four All-Star appearances, four gold gloves, an MVP in 2008, and perhaps more importantly, two World Series rings in 2007 and 2013. When I think of Pedroia, I think of the guy second in that pecking order to David Ortiz, guys who were just terrorizing the Yankees on a consistent basis. Five foot nine, 175 pounds. PD was one of the smallest players out there, but also one of the more gritty. And I know that word is reserved largely for fullbacks in the NFL like Danny Woodhead, but gritty has to describe him pretty well. Great fielding, always an exceptional hitter. I believe he would have been a Hall of Famer had these injuries not taken a toll on him. Yeah, Matt, this was an emotional piece of news to receive, even though, as you said, it wasn't terribly surprising given what we know about the state of uh, Pedroia's health. Uh, He won Rookie of the Year as a severely undersized second baseman that same spring I was uh, an 11 year old kid playing on a little league team, diehard Red Sox fan, also a severely undersized second baseman. And so for a lot of kids who, you know, didn't necessarily fit the visual stereotypes of, of a baseball player, didn't necessarily have a ton of people on our team. Uh, or for you know anyone, not just a Red Sox fan, you know, to, to, to be able to turn on a major league game and see someone who's like, oh, that guy resembles me. That goes to show that you know it's not a lost cause for you know little little shrimps like us. And seeing Pedroia in that role was you know really meaningful and impactful. And I think that I agree with you 100 about you know the term gritty. He's really kind of a, a throwback player in a way, just in terms of you know getting his uniform dirty, always going the the extra mile with the hustle play. And it's it's kind of one of those things where you don't really appreciate what he brought to the table until like he he's been gone for a while and you start reflecting on, you know, Hey, we really haven't gotten great production out of second base recently. Um, and you know, he was just such a solid cog of that lineup when he was healthy, those world series championships would not have been won without him. Uh, he brought, you know, just a, a, lot, a lot of joy to the fan base and I want to miss him a lot. I can't say I will because he just, beat up on the Yankees every single time he played, but I'll miss the stability of this guy in the lineup. So approaching 50 wins above replacement, honestly, a fantastic career. Hall of very good. I say 
15 gets retired by the Boston Red Sox. I don't know what you say. It wouldn't shock me, honestly. You know, I think that they, they might wait a, a few years because I don't think it's a situation where it's like, oh my God, this was like, you know, the best player in franchise history. We have to get, we have to get that number retired before he's done wearing it. But I could definitely picture that happening down the road. Now for a guy debuting in 2006 to be retiring now, time waits for nobody. I feel incredibly old. Now for all of the moves that I seem to understand that go on in trades and free agent signings, there were three deals this week where I was just like, huh, what? And we'll start with two made by the Los Angeles Angels acquiring Alex Cobb from the Baltimore Orioles for Jamai Jones. Not really the consolation prize for Trevor Bauer, is it? The Orioles get a decent prospect back. Right now, this rotation, Andrew Heaney, Dylan Bundy, Jose Quintana, Cobb, Griffin Canning, Shohei Otani. It's missing a bona fide frontline guy. I'm sure they want Otani to be that guy, but his arm cannot be trusted right now. On Baltimore side, this just gets rid of their most stable pitcher. He signed a very big deal in 2018, was actually solid when he was healthy. John Means, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kremer, Jorge Lopez, and Felix Hernandez, who was signed in a minor league deal. That's just an ugly rotation. Just a move that I really don't understand the reason for you know, if I'm being honest, I don't understand on either side, really, because obviously you know, the Orioles have just weakened themselves uh, in- incredibly here. Uh, for the Angels, Jemai Jones, uh, it's kind of weird to be seeing someone uh, with his reputation swapped one for one with a 30-something-year-old middle-of-the-rotation starter. Obviously, uh, we, when we spoke about the Angels' uh, top 10, we discussed how Jemai Jones' prospect sheen has started to wear off. Um, but still, you know, he was uh, he was a second-rounder uh, back in 2015. He was you know at the top of these lists for a very long long time. And on this show, we talk a lot about sample size and how it's important not to draw conclusions from just a small handful of games. Javai Jones debuted this past summer. He was three for seven in his debut, which is pretty loud as far as uh, major league debuts go. And I can honestly see him carving out a very solid niche on this Orioles team. They no longer have uh, Hanser Alberto. Uh, I think we're going to get to that later in the show. Pat Valike is currently their utility infielder. And while he showed some uh, decent power off the bench, he's not really a guy I think they want to go with long term. Jones kind of eases a little bit into second base after some early struggles. He's an outfielder by trade. So, you know, he could maybe play a, a little bit of that super utility role for the Orioles. That seems like a like a sneakily good guy to be adding in that role. But on the other hand, Matt, as you said, that rotation is, you know, it's 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 cheeks right now. Keegan Agan had some flashes. They're looking forward to him developing as a solid lefty in the top half of that rotation. But there are a lot of question marks below, and this doesn't make that better. Something called a Bruce Zimmerman is the next man up in that Baltimore rotation. I feel like Bruce Zimmerman is my parents' accountant, not not a <laughs> not a major league starting pitcher. I could be wrong though. Clearly, he has a double life. The second move the Angels made, acquiring Dexter Fowler for cash considerations. And the Cardinals just wanted to get rid of the salary. It's a dump. He has not lived up to his contract in St. Louis. Not that he's been terrible, per se, but he just signed a $70 million deal coming off of a World Series where he starred in the postseason with the Cubs. So it's understandable why he was overpaid. He's going to function as a stopgap for Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh, I guess. But with Trout there and Justin Upton in left field, it seems like someone's going to have to get DFA at one of those two guys in the corners if they're really ready for Adele slash Marsh. I think that uh, we talked about Adele's uh, very rough debut uh, a few weeks ago. This kind of confirms what I was thinking in the back of my mind that, you know, they're not ready to just give him the job straight up yet. I do foresee a situation where either Adele or Marsh is able to kind of have a hold on right field by, let's say, you know, late June, maybe. And in, in that instance, I can see a team like the White Sox, you know, trying to pick 
pick Fowler up as a bench bat for a potential uh, postseason uh, battle within a close division. It is weird to see Fowler back in the American League. He only spent one year there with the Astros in 2014. So maybe the change of scenery will do him good. I don't have his stats up right now. I thought he was slightly more decent this year than he was uh, in previous campaigns with the Cardinals. He was, but definitely not on that 15 million per year caliber that they were expecting. He's not on that wave at all. The last of these three deals was hot off the presses yesterday. The Oakland Athletics missing out on Marcus Simeon. That was self-inflicted. They offered him an insultingly low deal, getting their shortstop of the near future, at least. Elvis Andrews coming over from the Texas Rangers to Oakland in exchange for largely Chris Davis, a shift of large contracts for underperforming veterans. But the prospects in here are interesting as well. So the total deal, Andrews and backup catcher Aramis Garcia and $13.5 million in exchange for Davis, catching prospect Jonah Heim and 2020 fourth round pick Dane Acker. Andrews goes from competing for a third base role with Rugnet Odor to a starting, a starting, starting, a starting shortstop role once again. He's owed 14 mil in 2021 and 2022. And now due to the trade, has a $15 million player option in 2023. The A's are taking on some long-term money. This is not a guy who has hit above a 100 OPS plus more than twice in his life. I don't know what they're trying to replicate here. I don't get it. I know Chris Davis was awful last season. He gets a chance to split with Willie Calhoun, I suppose, at the DH role. The real victory here is Jonah Heim for the Texas Rangers. Jose Trevino is penciled in as the starter right now, but they have been in on Heim for the last two seasons. I don't know what this says about Sam Huff, who had a great debut as well, but there are now two guys behind Trevino in that pecking order to make the Rangers the slightest bit interesting. Yeah, I think the thing with Huff is we've spoken the praises of his bat and how you need to get him in the lineup no matter what. This to me suggests that he might be getting a couple of ground balls at first base in spring training, or you know perhaps he's a, a DH option if uh, Willie Calhoun uh, isn't up to snuff and if Chris Davis can't recover his uh, previous form. I also think just in, in terms of Dane Acker, that's a you know a, a power pitcher did well enough to be drafted in the the smallest draft in recent memory. So I think that you know for the for the Rangers, where starting pitching has been a weak spot, they're just trying to accumulate as much as they can. Elvis. Andrews, I I don't understand this. Um, I oh that rhymed. I didn't even plan that. Nice. Let's go. So he's had two seasons of an 800 plus OPS, 2016 and 2017. He's never really been a, a bat first guy, um, and it's really um, that's really been emphasized the past few seasons. You know, he was losing at bats to Anderson Tejada this past summer, and so you know, sure, Oakland's going to pencil him in. Uh, he'll have that job for opening day, but you know, if I'm an Oakland fan, I'm really looking at Nick Allen uh, right now or, uh, or Robert Poisson, even though he's much further down on the um, on the on the organizational depth chart. I don't think that this is a, a long term happy move for them. The new shortstop for the Texas Rangers, Gold Glover Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. He's gone from catcher to the hot corner to shortstop. That's impressive. And how often do you hear that? Never. Congratulations to IKF. If his bat remains at around an average clip, this is a certified stud. They can have stick around in Texas. They got to be happy with that versatility. The A's were not done. They also signed Mike Fires to a one-year $3 million contract for 2021. A stable force of innings. The interesting thing here is he didn't get any other offers from the 29 teams in the league. You think this has anything to do with the whistleblower incident from... Spygate, because he was the one who brought everything in. You think there's some weird little boys club thing where he just wasn't interesting enough in case something else was going on? Anything nefarious? You know, it's curious you bring that up, Matt, because when I saw you put this in our in our Google Doc, my first thought was uh, normally snitches get stitches, but this this snitch got paid. 
He did. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility. Um, I have you know, no evidence to back that up, but uh, I can't imagine that made him a ton of friends on the management side. Obviously, you know, in terms of, you know, the players who were not on the Astros or, you know, the, you know, the Red Sox or Yankees or whomever, obviously, you know, they have every reason to be, to be, to be pissed at him. I don't think they're good reasons, but they have their reasons. You know, I think that I would imagine players who are tired of getting victimized by the Astros would have appreciated that. Evidently, that's not something shared on the management side. All right. Are you ready for a one-year deal quick blitz? Because we're at the time of year where minor league contracts and very short tenures are getting agreed to as the spring starts to move itself into the picture. I guess I am, Matt. This is this is what the moment calls for. So right off the bat, uh, Felix Hernandez, uh, the king, minor league contract with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Matt, as you noted, uh, he was not able to see any game action after signing a similar deal with Atlanta last year. So this is the first time we are seeing him without Mariners across his chest. Uh, that to me feels weird. I don't like that purely just for aesthetic reasons. However, it looks like given the sorry state of the Orioles rotation and looking at which prospects are going to be, you know, starting off in AAA, uh, he's got his work cut out for him. It would be a nice story if he's able to uh, rediscover some of his uh, earlier magic, but he's been around for a while. This is like his like 16th, 17th year in the majors. I don't think Father Time's on his side, but still interesting to monitor. White Sox re-signed Carlos Rodon. Interesting that he was non-tendered and able to come to terms with the only club he's ever known. Can Tony La Russa and new pitching coach Ethan Katz get the job done and help him? He's going to fight with Reynaldo Lopez for the last spot. Not too promising, but it's a cheap deal, so they'll give him the chance, I guess. You know, I think that also there, there's going to be a little bit more competition because you got Dylan Cease. You have, uh, you know, we've, we've talked up Garrett Crochet a lot on here and there's the possibility he could be shifting back to the rotation. Michael Kopech is you know, someone you never want to count out with a lawsuit like that. So I think it's going to be a broader competition than that. And so Rodon obviously likes his chances, but, you know, I wouldn't be too, too optimistic if I were him. Staying in the AL Central, Jonathan Scope coming back to the Tigers. Matt, you use the word serviceable. I think that's the best way to sum him up. Very few players on that team were able to hit for a high average last year. Uh, that was a pretty embarrassing batting order to be looking at whenever I was perusing each day's box scores. Another solid veteran presence on a team that's going to be comprised of a lot of very young guys for the next couple of years. Red sign Sean Doolittle, the wokest king of the National League bullpens, to a one-year, $1.5 million deal. He was solid with the Nationals, but he might be cooked. His velocity is really dropping. It had a very ineffective season last year. Explains the salary. But he does become a closer candidate. Otherwise, if he's not there, he's going to be the second lefty to Amir Garrett. Lucas Sims will also get some saves. This is the first free agent deal of Cincinnati's winter. So that's really disappointing, quite honestly. It's almost as if the front office is stuck in like 2018. We're like, oh, yeah, Sean Doolittle to replace Rysel Iglesias. Oh, yeah, that's fine. But different day, different age. A lot has happened. And I like Doolittle. I think he had a very cool pitch mix. He's on the decline. I don't even think he himself would deny that. Yeah, he seems like a, a pretty astute guy as far as ball players go. Another reliever in the NL Central, Andrew Chafin, um, acquired by the Cubs in a midseason deal this year. Absolutely shat the bed with Arizona, but four decent appearances with the Cubs. Only one home run and three innings. That was the only blemish uh, on his record with Chicago. They're going to bet on him bouncing back. He's, he's, he's only 30 years old. He's a lefty. He had a, a decent track record uh over the previous three seasons with the Diamondbacks for a team that's, you know, not ready to throw in the towel. You know, we mentioned how they had some extra money uh, doled out uh, from the pockets of the Ricketts family. Retaining Chafin 
that's the kind of move you need to make if you want to you know, keep treading water. Yeah, cool. He was unhealthy last year. He dealt with some finger injuries, and that's damaging to a pitcher. So they're betting on a more consistent bounce back. I'm always a fan of lefty mineral levers who just hang around, don't really have the most promising stuff. Interestingly enough, Chafin is now the second most experienced option in the Cubs bullpen behind Craig Kimbrell. Just weird that they have a weird a mix of mostly young guys and then these people approaching their 30s and mid-30s. I was interested in this next move, more so than the other ones. Diamondback signing Joaquin Soria to a one-year, $3.5 million deal. He is still chugging along at the age of 37. I remember him being a wipeout closer in the late 2000s for the Royals. Then Tommy John surgery set him back. He's been a setup man ever since, and he's been a solid, reliable guy. He's going to be competing with Stefan Crichton for the closers role. He took less money to sign here because he wanted the opportunity to save games again. I think this could be a move that helps out Arizona. At the very least, he could be trade bait if they need to, because I don't see them being too competitive. Very solid, sturdy veteran to have in your bullpen. Yeah, I do think there will be a competition in spring training between Soria and Creighton. Just going to add a deference to Creighton for stepping up and giving them some much-needed solid ninth inning work last year. But based on reputation and stuff, this, I think, will be Soria's job by you know May or June. Uh, as far as trade bait, that has kind of been his his role in his career as these things go, especially given the massive odds Arizona faces being in that brutal NL West division. Uh, that's a pretty likely outcome, I think. But, um, you know, we'll see how that shakes out. In terms of our next move, the Phillies bringing Chase Anderson on for one year. The Blue Jays made a splash to acquire him this past offseason. That did not go well for them. Matt, you pointed out that there's um, some stat cast magic that's suggesting he might, he might be a decent bounce back candidate. He didn't give up much hard contact and his spin rates are pretty solid. So they're hoping that the guy who could give teams 30 starts and 150 innings a season is there somewhere. Right. And, you know, the Phillies have had a bit of a black hole at the back end of their rotation the past few years. Uh, there's been uh, more Jojo Romero than I think anyone would have liked to see. Count me as, as skeptical just because, you know, when, 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 when you have a season with peripherals as uh, grotesque as Anderson's were, it takes a while to, for me to regain that trust. How about this guy? He's a much more sturdy presence. Twins signing Alex Colome to a one-year $5 million deal. Now we're talking. I was discussing a few weeks ago how Jay Happ could not be the only thing the Twins did. Now they're starting to make some moves. And so the tw- the Twins continuing to add perhaps one of the most exciting pieces of news to their fans is Nelson Cruz will return to the Bamba squad for one more year. This was one of those uh, situations where the possibility of the DH in the National League really uh, affected the market because there were a lot of top National League teams that would have loved to have added Nelson Cruz to just slide him into that cleanup spot for a year uh, and aiding them to, to, to chase a pennant. But with that not looking like it's on the table... Um, this made too much sense. They've got Andrew and Simmons coming in, really shoring up their defense. They've made these additions on the pitching side. And of course, their bread and butter is their offense, their power. Um, you know, that's where the, the nickname comes from. Uh, and so I think that for a team that wants to be able to maintain, you know, its place uh, in, in the top echelon of the of the AL Central, this was a necessary move for them to make. How about this reunion? The Tampa Bay Rays signing Chris Archer to a one-year, $6.5 million pact. So so now every single player in this fateful trade between the Rays and the Pirates is now with Tampa. He slots into the two role almost immediately, which is, I think, a bit premature. But I know the ceiling of Archer is higher than a guy like Ryan Yarborough or Yanni Chirinos coming back from Tommy John surgery. You have to hope that Archer's thoracic outlet syndrome diagnosis is not a death blow to his career. I am not holding my breath. 
He has looked rough the last few seasons, but if he could recapture that magic of 2014 through 2016, when he was striking out 250 guys a season, the Rays are going to be very happy with their investment. This is just a very tough injury to come back from though. I think it's premature to slot him there as well. I honestly would put Yarwer and Chirinos ahead of him to start the season just because he hasn't shown us anything uh, to suggest he's back to that, you know, number two starter caliber. I would even argue that even though Josh Fleming uh, was a rookie and, uh, you know, there's always the possibility he comes back down to earth over the course of a full season. At this moment, I would take Josh Fleming over Archer if you asked me to put a raise pitcher on the mound to help to help me win a game. Another move that's a little interesting is uh, Mike Fultonevich, uh, one year, $2 million deal with the Texas Rangers. He was looking like a, a solid piece of, the, of this Braves rotation, but injuries got in the way, really kind of stunk up the joint in some limited action this past year. This is the kind of uh, cheap deal where you really want the Rangers to, uh, to kind of strike gold per se, just given as we've talked at length about the the mess that is the back end of the rotation. You know, I like this signing, but if it were for a higher dollar amount, I would I would certainly have a different opinion because, you know, there's you know, this is far from a sure bet. Well, they looked downright ugly last year, hovering around 90 miles an hour, which is not his bread and butter, but was healthy. Just outrighted off the roster after one start in July. You got to hope that they're going to get something back. The Mets, rumored to be involved with the Jackie Bradley Jr. sweepstakes, but JBJ is asking for five years. So that'll eliminate anything that they need. And it looks like they have a defensive replacement in center field if they need one. The Mets agreeing to a deal with Albert Almora. He was once an average hitter. His bat has cratered the past three seasons, but his defense has not. He's going to be a replacement for an outfield that desperately needs one. Dom Smith, Brandon Nemo, Michael Conforto. As great as they are hitting, they leave much to be desired in the field. So this is a better version of Gil Heredia. I think this is the kind of upgrade you want to see if you're a Mets team that has its eyes in the postseason. And yeah, being able to put Elmore in uh, in center field in the eighth inning of an NLDS game, that's the kind of scenario you bring him in for. He's an upgrade over what they've had in the past. But I caution Mets fans, you can't expect much more than that from him. If there's a situation where injuries pop up and he has to play everyday innings in center field, that's not going to be good. Now moving to what I think was kind of one of the more shocking uh offseason, uh, Hanser Alberto to the Royals, where he had had what from a distance looked to be some some decent seasons with the Orioles, you know, hitting the ball well, playing, you know, a very versatile uh, style of defense, second base, third base, you know, you can you throw him in at short as well. You know, Matt, you've mentioned some some issues with BABIP uh, and, and whatnot. Everything is bad. Exit velocity, walk rate, weak contact rate, barrel rate. The only thing he does well is an incredibly great strikeout rate. Everything else is like within the, in the 10th percentile. So he just swings and he swings for no reason. Wow. And with no, with no force whatsoever. And you know, so the, I guess the fact that he was able to, you know, hit for like decent average, that's a tremendous testament to the role of luck in this little game. I recall looking at, uh, you know, Rosser resource before uh, he signed, they were penciling Lucius Fox in uh, to make the team as the utility infielder uh, out of spring training without any major league experience. This represents a clear upgrade there. But I think, Matt, you've kind of talked me down now. I, you know. I don't see him breaking to the starting lineup anymore. Maybe they keep him on the bench as that utility guy for the season, but I'm less surprised than I was three minutes ago. Let's just put it that way. If there's a team that this could work for, though, it's Kansas City. They had Alcides Escobar pencils in the lineup for six straight seasons with very similar metrics. So it doesn't seem like they care so much. Even a guy like Nicky Lopez hasn't hit. Adalberto Mondesi hasn't hit, even though he's incredibly fast. They just give guys the reins if they could hit. Doesn't matter if they hit well, they just don't strike out. That's the Kansas City way. Another minor league deal for a player who's going to likely break camp, 
the Lionel DeShield Jr., signing with his former team, the Texas Rangers. He was part of the Corey Kluber package back in last January. He was ineffective to the point that a $2 million salary was too much for the Indians and DeShields was non-tendered. He could get some at-bats against lefties. At this point, you know what you have in him. He's better for defense and pinch running. Not an exciting move. I just put some minor league deals where the guy is going to break the roster. You figure that with a veteran experience like that and knowledge of the organization, he's going to have the leg up on some other guys. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, uh, you know, they were trying different options in center field. I think they tried a Joey Gallo out there for a few games and he does not just you know, visually strike me as the center field type. Juan Lagares coming to the Los Angeles Angels minor league deal, probably going to be their, their fourth outfielder. To me, he represents an upgrade over Michael Hermosillo or whomever else uh, would be uh, penciled in there. We talked about how the, the Dexter Fowler trade potentially affects the calculus with what you do with Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh. This is just a hunch. I don't think Juan Lagares is going to have a ton of impact on those plans. When we I don't there. know, man. It seems like Mike Trout's job security is slipping a little bit. You might need to have the 2014 Glow Glover in there. It has been said that this past season was Mike Trout's worst in a while. So you never know. There could be a downturn. Only a 165 OPS plus. He's really slipping as he enters his peak years. A couple very low level move trade moves that we forgot to mention. The Mets acquiring Jordan Yamamoto from the Marlins in exchange for Federico Polanco, an outfielder. One of the pieces in this Christian Yelich trade, Yamamoto looked solid in 2019, absolutely blew up in 2020. Perhaps injuries played a part. His forearm was bothering him. He was down four MPH on his fastball. 23 runs and 11 and a third innings pitch is gross. He's good depth, I guess. And that's something the Mets might need to turn to early on if they're going to ride it out with Lucchese and wait for Syndergaard to come back in the middle of the year. He's a guy who could work. I could also see him giving fans fits because the strikeouts looked nice in 2019. Really very limited control. Secondly, Minnesota trading their outfielder, Romante Wade Jr. to the San Francisco Giants for Sean Anderson. Wade has not been spectacular. He could serve as a lefty in an already crowded mix there. Sean Anderson is the one I was curious about because we talked like a month or so ago about the Giants not trusting their homegrown guys. And Anderson wasn't projected to make the rotation he was hanging around in AAA, and it looks like he's joining Derek Rodriguez and Andrew Suarez as two guys who have left this organization after getting some significant innings. Yeah, Matt, I mean, I, I don't know if I would necessarily say his his career is, you know, written off the way that Rodriguez and Suarez has seemed to be. You know, the peripherals improved in his, his second time around with the, the full-time shift to the bullpen, but the walk rate got a lot worse you know, I, I, it remains to be seen what's going to happen here. I think that there's maybe a chance that the twins might want to, you know, try and fix him up, maybe see if they can, you know, turn him into a serviceable uh, multi-inning reliever. But there is a reason why the Giants gave up on him. It's not completely nonsensical. Two more stories to get to. This is for our favorite GM in the league. AJ Preller extended through 2026. Pop the champagne. He's now the president of baseball operations for the Padres. President of business ops, Eric Gruppner. He's now the CEO of the team. He's also signed through 2026. Our king has come a long way from his failed win now push in 2015. Drew Pomerantz gate in 2016, in which Preller was lying about medical history, had a 30-game suspension. We thought that was bad. He had three Rule 5 picks on the same roster in 2017. Christian Betancourt was a pitcher for some reason. He has really done a 180, maybe a 179, because he's still wheeling and dealing. These deals seem to be a lot smarter, though. Yeah, we owe him a massive apology. Uh, AJ Preller, if you're listening, and if you're ever in either of our areas, uh, drinks on us. Last but not least, Baby Shark is back. Hurrah. Arpara signing a minor league deal with 
with the Washington Nationals, projected to make the team. A serviceable backup, a great clubhouse presence, spent time in Japan last season, brought baseball into the meme game with his walk-up song, of course, Baby Shark, done for his young children, and it got every fan at Nats Park up. It was broadcast on Fox like 8,000 times. I'm excited to have that back. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's kind of beyond the point in his career where he's, you know, contributing too much on the field. But, you know, for a Nationals team, this is looking to bounce back from a disappointing year. Clubhouse guys always help. You know, you have Ryan Zimmerman making the return after opting out. And of course, we love our meme-tastic players on this show. So, all respect to the baby shark. do 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 Sam, this was a great show. We had a lot to get through. Next week, though, college baseball preview I'm sure you are incredibly excited for that. Let's go. I can't wait. I've been waiting for this all winter. I'm going to be the first to admit I am not a college baseball aficionado, so I'm going to be A, weaning on you and B, learning from you a lot during these next couple weeks. Looking forward to it, Matt. We're on the farm. Sam Shapiro, Matt Kovitz. Have a great week, everybody. 